0: Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Runstead, Senior Editor. Hey everybody, Todd Runstead here. Welcome to another edition of the Toddcast. Uh, today I'm here with Duffy Mackay. He is Senior Vice President at CV Sciences, uh, a leading Hemp CBD company, one of the pioneers of the space, uh, and uh, you know, not to look backwards, but until about two years ago, you were senior vice president of scientific and regulatory affairs for the Council of uh, for Responsible Nutrition, leading trade group serving the dietary supplements industry. Um, I'd like to point that out because you know, one one of the things I like to say is when you look at the sort of modern history of of supplements. It, it, it all started with DSHEA, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. It's been going on for 26 years. And it seems to me that that everything that's happened in CBD in the last like five years is the same thing that's happened in supplements in the last 25. So it's kind of like dog years, you know, like CBD is supplements in dog years. So um, before we dig in, Duffy, how are you? I know you you picked up and moved from DC to, to California. Um, How's it going out there? How's, how's your personal life? How's your uh, professional life? How's it going?
1: Uh, it's been great. Um, I did do about a year of going back and forth uh, between D.C. and California, and now I'm stationed in California. And um, it's been really great. Um, CV Sciences is a great company to work for. The crew here is uh, uh, just outstanding. You know, we've experienced this whole COVID nineteen experience together. We have a lot of people working from home, um, but we had to keep the warehouse and the manufacturing uh, going. So it's been it's been a wild ride in two years. You know, I was I was in DC for ten years, um, <clears throat> so I had really gotten used to that lifestyle, and, uh, and so this has been quite a change. Right. Right.
0: All right. Hey, so let's just dig in for the uninitiated, uh, since I just brought up Deshay, Um just, just briefly, what do you describe to DeShay? What, what, what did that do for dietary supplements?
1: Well, um, <clears throat> really what it did was it created the first law that formally defined dietary supplement as a unique category. Before, um, much like, you know, we're going to be talking about later today, CBD, the whole area, the whole category of dietary supplements, so a fish oil or evening primrose oil or vitamin C, they're in so much of a, a regulatory gray area for years that sat somewhere between drugs and food. And when um, FDA would do enforcement actions, they would be sort of cherry picking from food and drug regulations to try to write warning letters or do other things and so what they did was, you know, and there was, a, it was a sort of a, um, it built up over several years and we could spend hours talking about the history of Deshaies, but essentially what the law did is it said, look, if something is gonna be in a tablet, capsule, liquid, soft gel, gummy, and it's gonna be a vitamin, a mineral, an amino acid or herb or botanical or extract, we are gonna create a new regulatory cra- category And we're appropriately going to blend in some of the flexibility that food regulations give as far as formulation and and bringing uh, ingredients to market, but some of the rigor that drug regulations have, such as manufacturing standards and testing requirements. And so they created this new category that was appropriately and fit for purpose to regulate a product like a multivitamin, different Than they regulate, let's say, a can of soup as well as different than, let's say, they regulate a prescription drug.
0: Right. Well, you know, what about hemp companies? Do you you get the sense that they don't quite get that they're not actually, or that they are actually in the supplements business? You know, maybe they think they're still kind of rogue marijuana outfits and, you know, not that all supplement companies are exactly nailing Deshay. They're not. But what do you think these companies are getting wrong about Duche.
1: Well, I think that your observation about um, companies that don't quite get that they have to fit within one of these regulatory structures, um, that that has been a, a big problem with the, the hemp industry. Uh, we have you know, the market has been flooded with uh, entry level companies, a lot of them unaware of Duché and unaware of supplement reg- regulations, just trying to get into a, a fast growing market to, you know, make a quick buck. And then there's the companies that are here to really um, long term investments. And so the, the, the big difference is that, you know, and you, and you can't blame them, Todd. I mean, um, cannabis itself as a whole category is a controlled substance, hemp becomes um, legal. And then, of course, you and I both know from a nuanced regulatory um, perspective, FDA knew exactly what it's doing. It said, sure, fine. We don't mind if hemp is legal. USDA can legalize hemp below 0.3 percent THC. We can grow hemp. You can make concrete. You can make wood. You can make T-shirts. However, if you're going to make something that's either a drug, a topical, a dietary supplement or a medical food, we retain the right to make those products follow our existing set of rules. They did not mince words by saying FDA maintains the authority to regulate over the products that we regulate already. And so as soon as you put hemp derived CBD into a soft gel and call it a dietary supplement, you have to follow all applicable laws and regulations related to dietary supplements. And that's manufacturing standards. That's the claims you make. Uh, that's uh, having a post-market uh, uh, adverse event reporting system. All of it.
0: Yeah, and you know a lot of people are complaining about what's happening with the FDA. They're they're certainly slow walking. Um, they're they're hesitant to issue any sort of enforcement discretion. You know, the FDA is still the FDA. They're they're no fan of supplements, and they're they're doing all they can to promote the f- American pharmaceutical interests. I'm curious um do you have any predictions about hemp and the FDA like will a new incoming Biden administration make any difference or or is the FDA are they kind of deep state and they're going to do what they're going to do
1: no matter what administration <laughs> I sort of look at FDA as more agnostic I don't think that they're necessarily a, an enemy or or a fan of supplements they just look at the rule book and sort of try with the limited resources they have, try to get people to comply. I also don't think they are uh, inherently trying to promote uh, pharmaceuticals. It's just the way these rules have come to be, they're just sort of the way they are. And there's a lot of um, protectionism of uh, drug development and pharmaceutical interests. Um, So I think, What's unique is that cannabis has been a controlled substance, so a lot of these rules about the IND exclusion and this first-to-market provision for drugs, the fact that if, if if a company has made the investment to research their drug ingredient, it sort of gives them protection that no one will also enter the food or dietary supplement space, and that that makes sense on paper, but when you start getting into natural products, you can really sort of see the conflict that the drug industry could really lock up a lot of natural ingredients just by filing INDs. And with cannabis, it's unique because it was a controlled substance for you know 50 plus years. And so it could not be made into a food or a dietary supplement or a topical product in order to be on the market before. I mean, you and I both know if cannabis was legal at all, or hemp was legal, people would have made all kinds of products out of it uh, from day number one. And we would have had hemp-derived CBD supplements and and hemp juices and hemp smoothies, you know, 25, 35, 45 years ago. Those things have always been around, they just haven't been legally marketed. Um, So it's really kind of a a unique situation here that we have, and, and I'd like to sum it up, Todd, In a sense, it really doesn't pass the common sense or the sniff test here. You have an ingredient that was erroneously characterized as a controlled substance. Farmers weren't allowed to grow a potentially profitable economic crop, totally for no reason. There's below 0.3% THC. It doesn't get anybody high. It's not a narcotic, but it's illegal. So the U.S. government keeps the entire industry from developing. And then one day it says, okay, we were wrong. Uh, We're changing our mind. We're gonna come up to speed with the rest of the globe and allow the uh, agricultural commodity hemp to be grown. But hold on a second. We're not gonna let people consume CBD because we think it's unsafe unless it's sold by a drug company. So that whole model just doesn't make sense because consumers are sitting there saying, look, We didn't believe you in the first place that it was a dangerous drug. You were lying to us then. And now you're telling us that it's unsafe unless it's sold as a drug. It just makes people crazy. And so I think FDA is in a unique position where it's going to have to find some type of compromise to balance consumer access to CBD products with consumer safety. And the way to do that is dietary supplement regulations. Filing new dietary ingredient notifications, adhering to good manufacturing practices, following appropriate labeling and claims, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I think that that's wise advice, just you know, GMPs and and labeling. You know, I the FDA is kind of trotting out this access versus safety things. I, I came across this uh this FDA pronouncement that I, I, I want to use this opportunity to just read this sentence because, to me, it kind of really shows, you know, the, the FDA, maybe they they say, well, we're just following the statute, and, and maybe they are, but, you know, we, we know that the statute does give them the authority to uh, issue an enforcement discretion, which they're hesitant to do. Anyway, here's this quote. Um, we are also concerned that by including these other hemp-derived compounds in the bill language, um, they're speaking about H.R. 8179, um, it, would, it could disincentivize potential drug development of these compounds and instead encourage the use of these compounds in dietary supplements. Ouch. I mean, you would think that drugs is the middle name of the FDA. Oh, right. It is. <laughs> uh,
1: um, yeah, you know. Uh,
0: you don't have to go there, Duffy, if you don't want.
1: No no, I think it's interesting because it just depends on which lens you're using to look at that sentence. What they're basically saying is that let's say that, you know, we know that CBD when provided at high amounts a very purified form is really helping children with heavy duty epileptic rare epileptic seizures, um Dravet syndrome and others, you know. So a company has done their due diligence it was a 25 year plus process to get that drug in place so those parents with with you know with really sick kids could trust that cbd that they're giving them and doctors could trust it and they know there's a cause and effect relationship between that level of cbd and that condition they also learn that there's certain drug nutrient interactions you have to watch out for etc etc all very appropriate in the clinical setting when doctors are treating sick kids. What if CBG or CBN or one of these others when concentrated a certain way or provided a high enough level can cure or help treat Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or something like that? Their point is, and maybe it's overly stated, is if if these ingredients just become widely available in the grocery store, what drug company is going to come along and make the investment to then make that discovery sometime in the future? Kind of makes sense a little bit, but what they're missing is the fact that Most of our industry, the responsible dietary supplement industry probably knows that it can't just isolate CBG into a crystal form, put it into a capsule at 50 milligrams and start making claims about it because A, you don't know if that's safe. Because you remember these, these minor cannabinoids are called minor cannabinoids for a reason. They occur in very low levels in the plant. And so if someone is doing a process where they're uh, extracting and distilling and concentrating and selling you pure crystal CBG or CBN. I mean, I'm a naturopathic doctor. That sounds kind of like a drug to me. Just like if someone takes a cocoa bean and they start filtering and distilling and, and and using solvents to extract and they make a pure powdered caffeine, when I look at that, I say, that looks like a drug to me. So, you know, sure, green tea extract is an appropriate dietary supplement with appropriate levels of active bioactive compounds, just like a hemp-derived CBD extract is an appropriate consumer product, non-prescription with with rational levels of CBD and other minor cannabinoids but as soon as we start selling pure crystal CBG and frankly and Todd I'm a little conservative I'm sure a lot of people you could talk to would be more cavalier but I talk to suppliers who are like hey we've got CBG crystal and I'm like well what do you think I'm going to do with that you know and I'm like think I'm going to put it in a topical they're like no people put it in supplements I was like what level for what reason? And they don't have any answers to those questions. What level's safe? Well, that's up to you to figure out, you know, and, and it's just, it, you can see how quickly FDA would be like, I'm not real comfortable with any of this. We need a regulation in place that allows people to take these ingredients through the appropriate regulatory pathway. It doesn't mean you can't file an NDIN on a, you know, a CBG rich extract.
0: Right. Yeah. I I mean, there are different swim lanes for all of these things. And so you could have a CBG and you could say helps support um, a uh, a healthy sleep. But you can't say CBG in a supplement cures Parkinson's. Right. So all of a sudden, er, two different lanes right there. So but, you know, it it just seems like the FDA, they, they don't want it out as a supplement at all but anyway so th- this is all this is all well and good let's let's move sl- let's just pivot a little i'm curious about do you do you think that anything will change under a biden administration I, I don't think we've heard anything about health and human services or fda chief coming in yet we we've heard rumblings about maybe david kessler um i think he infamously said he was around when DeShay was passed and and he said, sure, uh we'll give the supplements industry just enough rope to hang themselves with, you know so he's he's not exactly a, a fan you know w- which would sort of fit in the model of that of FDHE or h h s do you do you see anything shifting because of a new administration or or do you see f d a just
1: carrying on you know that's a that's a really um great question i i do think i do think that um those who are willing to read the tea leaves are saying the biden appointees will be good for the uh industry not only at hhs but at usda Um, specifically i've um colleagues who have met with usda i forget the individuals but you know that they are more open to making the agriculture you know some of the snags that we um have run into or the farmers have run into with the original farm bill as it's been put into regulation. You know, the tricky stuff like, you know. um, You know how you know the the 0.3% how much wiggle rooms given around that those kind of things. Um, So they seem a a lot more um, willing to try to make a rational balance there. Kessler you know uh, that was a long time ago and he was the arch enemy of the dietary supplements and he got quite the reputation he was essentially around when Deshay passed he was the commissioner and he was quoted many times uh, saying derogatory negative things towards the industry and then when um, when Deshay passed you know he was sort of of the of the opinion where he said you know let's let's all just put our pencils down and um, let this industry destroy itself. And he was wrong. The irony is, and and I don't wanna, um, you know, this is a podcast and I don't wanna spread rumors, but my understanding is years later, he was on the boards of directors of uh, different companies that you and I might know, and he may have um, evolved his thinking. So we will see, um, I'm assuming he's pretty aged right now. I don't know his age, so I'm curious what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, do do you think the FDA will be successful in instituting NDIs on CBD, which we will note
1: they've never really done with the supplements industry writ large? Um, yeah, I, that's that's one of the things is we we when we're talking about potential regulatory frameworks for CBD, there's a lot of um, hypothetical. Things that make sense on paper, but for those who've been around for a long time, it's really hard to predict what does this actually mean in practice. Like you said, you know, NDINs. You know, um, there's a big argument of whether the, they should be required absolutely for every single individual hemp ingredient that someone wants to sell. And it appears that there's a subset, including my company, that's willing to um, concede with that. That okay, we'll file an NDIN. But in reality, that's been the rule for a lot of these ingredients for years, and FDA is con- constantly saying that, that they're not getting the NDIN's filed that they think they should, and that industry just ignores that regulation. Uh, sometimes, and you and I know this well, is, you know, one company puts a lot of investment into an NDI, and they're successful, and there's no objection and then several other companies do knock on or me too ingredients they don't file their own ndin um, and, it, and it is you know obviously very frustrating for the original company who's made the investment done all the work um, filed the regulatory documents and you have this other companies just riding their coattails and often the ingredients are not similar right you know, my
0: my colleague, Josh Long, had, he wrote at the end of last year, a four part series on NDIs, new dietary ingredients for the uninitiated. And and part of that story, he he was speaking with companies that just what you were saying, they filed an NDI. They saw other companies doing knockoffs. They went back to the FDA and they said, look, here's our NDI. You approved it. Here's this other company that they don't have an NDI and they're going to market, do something about it. And the FDA would not. And it's like, geez, guys, <laughs> you know? It's like, w- w- we just we just spent high six figures getting this NDI together,
1: and w- 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 what's the value of it, you know? Well, you know, and aside from that, the intent for the uninitiate of a new dietary ingredient or NDI is to compile all the science into a dossier or a document that explains and rationalizes the safety of the ingredient. So, it could have clinical trials where you've tested the ingredient for safety. It could have a description of how this ingredient is widely used as a food. And FDA has a chance to review that information and object or accept it. And so, the NDI is essentially the the pre-market safety evaluation for new ingredients. And it makes sense from a public health perspective. If, if I go to the Amazon and I find a new botanical and I want to sell it for immune health, nobody's ever consumed it very much, that, that I need to do the research to, to, to show you it's safe. Um, and what these companies that file the NDIs and they have the knockoff ingredients, it's so frustrating, is the knockoff often is not identical to it so they they would assume that hey it's a different ingredient you need your own safety data what we're worried about in the cbd side of the equation is that companies like myself uh, as well as some others that that are responsible that i know that are preparing to be uh prepared for an ndi filing you know the half a dozen of us file ndis on our ingredients and then you know the other Presumably 3,000 companies out there keep selling CBD and don't do anything and FDA doesn't do anything and then you know it's just a mess and the consumer loses right
0: right so yeah I mean I guess that that is one of those other things that uh, that remains to be seen do you do you think the FDA is going to really come out with enforcement discretion and and will that be a permanent thing if they come out with an enforcement discretion document apparently they're they're close to it It, it's at the omb right now but you know i don't think it'll be released before the trump administration leaves in the new administration maybe they'll have to look at it again so maybe we'll still be looking at a number of months before they do that but do you think that's in the cards fda enforcement discretion
1: Yeah. So that's, I mean, I don't, you know, that's a little bit insider baseball, you know, in a sense that some might see what they're doing right now as enforcement discretion. Um, They've made it very, very clear that companies making egregious drug-like claims, claiming to treat COVID, claiming to treat cancer, will be getting warning letters. And we've seen I don't know, we're probably up to forty plus warning letters to CBD companies for doing such things. And they and they've they've got their boilerplate language related to their position on CBD, which is essentially, you know very unclear and kind of wonky. Um, but what they haven't done is gone after a company that's making compliant claims and and you know has a third party GMP certification because that's going to get, you know, might end up in court and get at the heart of the issue of can CBD be sold as a supplement. And nobody wants that to be decided by the courts, right? And so um, we're all kind of hoping that either FDA can put, and the reason I said that is because what they have at the Office of Management and Budget is actually their enforcement policy. So, um, it's not necessarily them straight up saying we're gonna we're gonna practice enforcement discretion. Um, so that would be something else. And if they came out with enforcement discretion officially, that would be terrific because what we really need, Todd, is um, something that will give retailers, The comfort to start saying, look, we we're willing to sell CBD and we're only going to work with compliant companies, but right now they can't define what a compliant company is. And so if FDA sort of outlines what that is an enforcement discretion that says if they say something like. You know. We're still working on a full CBD policy, but for the time being, you know, CBD products that follow all of the rules in the Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act and the products are made under manufacturing and they don't make drug claims and they could even throw in something and they're under some level uh, of total CBD per day, um, we're going to use enforcement discretion for those products. But if the product is violative of any of these things, we're going to come after you. And that would be wonderful because then the retailers could look at that and say, OK, well, we're only going to work with companies that follow these rules right here.
0: Yeah, right. Well, so, you, you know, you brought up serving size limits Um uh, and and that seems to be, you know, the the, the Brits have, have done that and they've said seventy milligrams per day. The FDA it just seems like anything around, you know, safety, they're they're doing a slow walk on that, slow dance. Um, you know, that, that just seems like a a lot to ask if they're gonna come out with some sort of interim enforcement discretion with a certain size because there's they just seem like they're still certain about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and I, what I'm saying is, in an enforcement discretion, that just is like a temporary placeholder. They could say, you know, we're we're not aware of the the safe number, but there's enough evidence that says for for non-pregnant adult, you know, without liver disease, this level appears to be, you know, something we can live with. Not they couldn't, that, you know, that that. What that does, Todd, is that prevents them from having to affirm. Because if they come out with a regulation, they have to be able to affirm a safe level and get really behind it. Um, but with enforcement discretion, they could sort of say, "Look, we're still working it out, but but consumers want access, so here's the best case scenario. We think that, you know, this level is okay, but talk to your doctor."
0: Yeah, that that's interesting. Uh, do you think it's true that? elections have consequences. And I say that in terms of like the FDA or the USDA or the DEA, they'll look at the last election. Cannabis was five for five, including deeply red states. And, and now just about every state has some kind of cannabis laws on the books, whether it's recreational marijuana or allowing CBD. I mean, just about every state except maybe Idaho or Kansas. W- w- will they look at that at some point and say, yeah, I guess maybe we should just give the people what they want?
1: Well, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. FDA has been long aware of the changing sentiment around ma- marijuana around the um Globe, frankly, and they are have both a cannabis working group as well as a CBD working group. They have an agenda that's, you know, they're a public health organization, and so their job is to pick. So, you know, if states elect to allow people to smoke marijuana. FDA is looking at questions like you know what's effect on pregnancy, what's the effect on driving, you know what's the effect in children, you know because they are the ones that are supposed to protect. Like if it was smoking cigarettes, you know they're the ones that are supposed to do the science and and determine if this stuff is going to kill people. Um, you know they're they're the ones that eventually, if they're asked to regulate this, they're the ones that are going to have to decide what warning levels labels do we put on it, and what age limitations, and what dose limitations. So they have a very busy research agenda both on the THC and CBD side both on the benefits of as well as um, the risks and not just FDA but also um, NIH national institutes of health uh, constantly holding cannabis symposiums trying to figure out the science and as you know you know that the product development and consumer use is way out ahead of the science right now And so all of these um, public health organizations are trying to play catch up.
0: You know, Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner, I guess it was two years ago about, he said the FDA, they'll do a rule and it'll take three to five years. And everyone was like, well, that's crazy. Um, And so the question is, is that not actually so crazy? Will we have to wait three to five years, which is actually only one to three now, or is Congress going to step in or will we have to wait until the 2023 farm bill before some of this is kind of sh- just settled a little more? What do you
1: think? Well, FDA rules do take three to five years and they have their justification and rationale why, whether that's right or wrong, and that's a whole nother story. Um, so that's why folks are looking at Congress. And I think that um the bill that's currently in Congress 8179, it, whether it's the right bill or not, it puts a lot of pressure on everyone to get something done soon. Um, and, and this in, in this lack of decision, this gray area, this limbo area, it's really only um, the consumer loses out because there's so many shoddy CBD products out there. Uh, that the responsible companies lose out because it's such an unlevel playing field, and you know, there are there are half a dozen or so great companies that invest in the right, you know, manufacturing standards and testing, and they source quality material, and then there's just all this terrible product out there that's really making it difficult to, to um, have a mature and healthy marketplace. And FDA really needs to uh, do its job in regulating to make to help out in there, and that's that's the missing link. Yeah.
0: So we are with Duffy Mackay, senior vice president of CV Sciences, leading uh, hemp CBD company. Um, so Duffy, you know, like like so many other people in the supplements industry, um, uh, you as well as them, I'll, I know a lot of people. Um, they they jumped ship from what they had been doing, and they joined the hemp CBD revolution. So, uh, why did you do it? What what informed your decision?
1: Well, uh, I'm unique in a sense that my area, and while well, I was 10 years in Washington D.C. doing both scientific and regulatory affairs, as well as a lot, as we've talked about around DCH and 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 you know working, representing the industry on issues related to DCH like the NDI guidance, like master file. so. I had a really good uh, understanding of all of the issues that hemp companies were just about to get into, and I, I you know, eight, eight years ago, you know, this was really these companies were not operating; they were under the radar, and then, you know, um, they've really become more mainstreamed, and you know, getting uh, GMP certifications and. At a certain point, the two worlds sort of collided and the hemp advocacy was occurring in Washington, D.C. They were joining forces with some of the supplement trade groups. And really, I realized that my area of expertise um, was really applicable to what was taking place and the changes that needed to happen in the hemp-derived CBD in order for things to move forward. And so I just felt like, you know, taking on the challenge um, and starting fresh. And plus, I was 10 years talking about DeShay, and I was really ready to move on, I think. It was time for me to challenge myself personally with something new.
0: That's cool. You know, so two years ago, those were, those were heady days in, in Hempville. Today, uh, maybe there's a tad more trepidation, you know, uh, you know with the, the, the massive uh, oversupply in 2019 and 2020, the shakeout. Uh, Lots of acquisitions, lots of um, companies that haven't made it. Um,
1: Still think it was a good move? I I think that it's to be determined. You know, um, my microcosm, the people I work with at CV Sciences, um, the things that we're doing, you know, we've diversified our portfolio. Um, You know, we've got some incredible creative stuff going on. So that part of it is all very rewarding on a personal level. You know, whether you know. I got here at the right time or not, that has to be determined, but at the same time, you know, I think for those of us with long term thinking, you know. The beginning of this was just a really explosive growth period and then now we're seeing this plateau period and I think that the serious players once we have full FDA regulation of this category and the people that have made the right investments into science, regulatory compliance the right staff. It will be a lot like other ingredients that have gone through this, you know, whether it be glucosamine or fish oil or resveratrol where they, you know, early explosion driven by science, you know, then it's then it's, you know, this plateau period and then the serious players are there to stay. You know, the Nordic Naturals of the fish oil category. Um, And so that's what I'm looking forward to being part of a, a serious cannabinoid company that's here to stay.
0: I like that. Now, I, I don't want you to uh, talk about anything you don't want to talk about, but you just mentioned some portfolio shifts. And, um, you know, I, I, companies like yourselves, I'm, I'm sure you, you've got this innovation pipeline um, that you're looking at. Do you want to talk about how the market is changing if you don't want to reveal any secrets about what you think you might be releasing later in the year or or um, you know, just what what's going on in, in the minds of CB Sciences to kind of uh, keep the category moving, innovating.
1: Our big innovation was we introduced some non CBD products, and, the, and we took some of our expertise internally um, and and really trying to branch out there. And so so that that's what I was referring to there with regard to what's next. I think all of us in the CBD industry are, are making adjustments to where people buy their products. You know, with COVID. The retail environment has shifted so much. People are not getting the foot traffic into the stores. And so, you know, a lot of effort being in, you know, not only in the R&D and, the, and what products are coming next, but how do we reach our consumer? Um, so that's that's sort of like some of the transitions we're making now.
0: Yeah, that really seemed like, like a lot of companies such as yourselves who were really, uh, you know, had this uh, very much a, a bricks and mortar, um, strategy you know every time i spoke with someone from your company it seemed like oh now we have 500 more retail outlets that we're in i right. you know
1: we probably could have diversified a little earlier but we really had great relationships with our retailers. and as you know the natural products retailers they like loyalty right and so we had to really focus on building that loyalty and and, and staying you know present in that area but right now it's just it's really difficult because the foot traffic's just not there. And so as a company, we have to look at other ways of, of reaching our consumer.
0: Yeah, right. Like it, it always seems like the the natural independent retail stores, um, they really uh, separate themselves with education. And yes. now it, it just seems like consumers, they're not really going in to get educated. They're just like in and out, you know, as fast as possible. So that that, that creates a challenge, you know, for a lot of a lot of uh, companies, I think. Uh, you know, so Duffy, any other parting thoughts you've got on the future of hemp CBD or cannabinoids in general? I really like how you called yourself a cannabinoid company. Um, that, that there, nobody seems to know, uh, yet how many cannabinoids there are in, in <laughs> which is pretty amazing to me. Like, what do you mean? Can't you just look at it under a microscope and figure it out? Uh, but, uh, so so uh, is, is, is the future not CBD, but, but cannabinoids? Is, is that the category?
1: No, I think, it's, I think it's hemp products and hemp products are gonna get more technical and they're gonna have different ratios of cannabinoids and, and science is gonna to evolve to let us know why, why that could be beneficial. Um, and so that's the direction. I think some of that will take place in the future. Plus it'll be done in a, in a much more highly regulated environment we're going to see more serious science based companies um, that, the, that are able to operate unimpeded by the, these ankle biters and all these fly by night companies that just come in with, you know, whether it's a celebrity or an athlete um, and try to pretend that they know anything about making good products that help people.
0: Yeah, well, um, thank you for the term ankle biter. My ankles are cold here in Colorado right now. <laughs> um, Duffy, it's, it's, it's good to catch up. I right, take care. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider podcast. We are continually looking to improve your podcast experience and want to hear from you, the industry listener. Please take a moment to take our quick survey and provide your feedback at naturalproductsinsider.com slash podcast survey.